Well, good morning, good morning. It's good to see everybody and join together in worship. Today is the last day of a run that we've been on this summer called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And uh, we have had a pretty good journey of this uh, run. And in fact, some of you said, well, why don't we do this again next summer? And we just might. Uh, we have been looking at different Old Testament characters that would be interesting to have around our dinner table. Have you ever had some unique, weird guests in your life around your dinner table? Some awkward guests? Maybe some very exciting guests, some very intriguing guests. I remember growing up, uh, we had a lot of missionaries come to our home because we're part of a Christian Missionary Alliance church. And some of the most interesting stories I remember came from those kinds of individuals who sat around our table. I trust that this uh, run of seven weeks this summer has been helpful for you to get to know not only some of the characters of the Old Testament, but also get to see God's redemptive picture of how he operates and works through um, history uh, and through the Hebrew scriptures. So we've gone through six. We now come to our last Sunday for finding an Old Testament character. And some of you probably have bets going on in your household. And so you're waiting with bated breath to find out if you win or not concerning the last person from the Old Testament seated around our table. Uh, I came across this picture for our dinner table that was, uh, I don't know, it was just a cool picture. Wouldn't you love to be a part of some type of wedding uh, uh, gathering such as that? Uh, we have... Uh, had entertained different guests. We started out with Moses. We then went and had Daniel come seated at our table. Then we went back to Abraham. Do you guys remember some of these weeks? Hopefully you do, right? And following Abraham, we went to Gideon. And then from Gideon, we had Esther. And last week was Oh, David, good. Some of you remember. They say that people usually forget your message within like five or six hours after you um, say it. So that's always encouraging for us pastors. Anyway, um, so we could have filled up that whole table with the characters of the Old Testament. And maybe next summer, if we did it again, we'll find some more of the obscure characters or maybe some of the other major characters. I don't know. Or maybe some other characters in the Bible, whatever. But, uh, you know, the Bible is full of story. And so if you like story, you're going to like the Bible. You just need to get into it and figure it out and start to put together the whole picture of all that's gone on through time and what God has for the future. But today, guess who is coming to dinner? And I would guess that most everyone in here would not guess this person from the Old Testament that we're going to look at today. I'm not even going to take a vote. I'm not even going to have you do shout outs. I'm just going to show it to you and you're going to look at me strange. This is our guest around the dinner table from a person in the Old Testament. Christ. You go, wait a second, you're confused, Pastor. You said, guess who's coming to dinner is going to be characters out of the Old Testament that we'd like to see come to our dinner table. How in the world can you invite Christ to the table? He's New Testament Bowman. Didn't you go to seminary? Didn't you learn these things? What's going on, right? Well, I'm going to speak about something today I've never spoke about. And I've actually been quite excited through the week. I don't know if you're going to get excited or into what I'm sharing today, but it was worth it for me. Christ does appear. It is believed in the Old Testament. Jesus 
Christ, Son of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God Himself, eternally existent, everlasting to everlasting. Could it be that there are appearances of Christ in the Old Testament before He was born to the Virgin Mary? God Himself come in the flesh, pre-incarnate appearances in the Old Testament. I believe so. Others believe so. And if you want the big theological term today so you feel like you've learned something, it's called Christophanies. A Christophany is an appearance of Jesus in human form which happens in the Old Testament. Now, there are theophanies, which is maybe the appearance of God, but other people say, well, there might be a Christophany, this is the appearance of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity in this particular thing. And so I've never spoken on the Christophanies that are possible in the Old Testament. But it's exciting for me to go back and realize that Jesus Christ just did not come to this earth, live 30 years, then engage ministry for three years, then die on a cross, be raised from the grave, ascend into the heavens, promise to come back. But that Jesus Christ would actually be embedded throughout all of Scripture and that we could see Him active at work then as He was after His incarnation as He is now after His ascension into the heavens, and as He always will be into the eons of time. You see, you came today to worship God, and we are only able to worship God through the mediatory, the mediation work of Jesus Christ. In fact, the table that we come to later this morning is the means by which we have access to God. We would have no hope to ever understand God, to know God, if it was not through the presence of Jesus Christ and His revelation. But His presence is just not something for the New Testament folks and the junkies thereafter, like ourselves. It was His presence operating even from the beginning of time. So a Christophany is an appearance of Jesus in human form, which happens in the Old Testament. You may or may not agree with some of the things that we're looking at today, and that would be fine, because there's theologians that are far beyond any one of us in this room who would debate the same kind of subject. But I think it's interesting to open ourselves up to the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, and see where Christ was possibly at work behind the scenes and even visibly in the presence of people. One of the interesting passages you will find after the resurrection of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ appeared to two men who were walking on a road to a place called Emmaus. And they were busted up. They were broken down. They were grieving because the Messiah, the one they thought would be the Messiah, was just crucified in Jerusalem. And everybody was like hoping he would bring salvation to Israel. And so they were dejected, heads down. Walk into Emmaus. And as they're walking to Emmaus, they're trying to figure this all out. And a stranger comes up and walks alongside of them. And if you know the story in the scriptures of this appearance, you'll know that it's the appearance of Christ. In fact, this picture, I think I might have shown it before around here, but this picture hung on the wall of 
You got that picture? Next one. The picture hung on the wall of my house uh, in my in my parents' living room. And it's a picture of Jesus talking to these two men, this painting, on the road to Emmaus. And it says this in Luke 24, 17. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Did Jesus have this Bible when he was referring to those scriptures? No. What he had as scriptures at that time were the Hebrew scriptures. Okay? So when it says, in all of scriptures concerning himself, he's saying, let me take you back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, I'm going to walk you, beginning with Moses and thereabout, and I'm going to show you where I'm at. And they sat and they listened to him. All the pieces started to be put together for them. And then they came to the table and he broke bread with them. And what happened? When he broke bread, they were enlightened and they realized this is Jesus. And in that moment, he was taken from them. He had these appearances. In fact, some people call them Christophanies that are after the resurrection, the appearances of Christ there. But normally Christophanies are referring to Old Testament appearances before his incarnation. But here's an example of even after the resurrection, his appearance and presence being shown. And I believe as surely as you see this picture in Jesus walking with those two men, that there are places throughout Scripture where Jesus actually brought his presence to the people of the Old Testament. Now, you may walk out of here today and go, I don't know if I really believe that stuff. Well, that's fine. Just engage with me and think through it and open up your thoughts and open up your heart to see maybe if it's there. The Old Testament contains two things concerning Christ. It contains the predictions of Christ, and that's predominantly where Jesus Christ anchored his thoughts with those two men on the road to Emmaus, and the presence of Christ. I love how the prophet Micah says this. In Micah 5.2, New King James Version says this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And I believe in this prophecy predicting that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, would be born from Bethlehem is also this reference of not only the prediction of the coming of the Messiah in Christ and so forth, but also that this Messiah has been from the beginning, from old, and is going forth. In fact, the word, the Hebrew word that's listed there, from everlasting, is the strongest Hebrew term asserting infinite duration. Infinite duration. Now, let me tell you why I'm inviting Christ to be our dinner guest today. I get a little anxious and weary when I hear teaching or look at a lifestyle that puts Jesus merely in the box of New Testament times, his work there, and that he's now gone and we're just sitting around and waiting for him to come back and, you know, fix this big mess we're in. Friends, the mess that we are in is because 
we do not realize the presence, the infinite duration of the Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ, in our presence on a daily basis from everlasting to everlasting. It was a week ago today, wasn't it? Whether it was during the evening hours in the middle of the night, that the comedian Robin Williams took his own life. It's been interesting for me to watch the, um, I don't know, reaction to it all. Yeah, I was one of those who did not want to miss a Mark and Mindy show. The guy was brilliant. He's creative. He was funny. He had energy and drive and intuitiveness, and you sat back in awe. But for whatever reason, he chose to take his life. And all of us, whether it was something like a comedy routine or a, a comedy show or a movie, there's just been a sense of, Sadness and a little bit of a reality wake-up check. You know, Robin Williams said in 2009 uh, when he had open-heart surgery that he had to face his own mortality. And that was sort of a wake-up call to him. And his wife, after his death this week, gave reference that he was uh, in the early stages of Parkinson's. And that was probably more of a wake-up call to his morality. And so whenever there's the death, especially the suicide, of a well-known figure in our popular culture, it takes us back. And we face our own mortality. But I think something else was happening this week. I don't know about you, but I was trying to think. I was out on my prayer walk last night thinking through and I said, Lord, what is it that causes just the sadness that comes over us with the death of someone like Robin Williams? Because he had it all seemingly, right? He had the, the levity of life and the funniness. He had uh, success. He was a very kind and daring person to be around from my understandings, things you read about. Um, even our own Cheka, from my understanding, has, has known him uh, and some kindness that, that came from him in an encounter or two. But what else is it? And I thought, you know, it's not just that you're facing your own mortality. There's something about that kind of individual being taken from this life for whatever reason. It came to an end a week ago. You also face life's... How can I say this? It's the frivolity of life as well as the mortality of life. Is that it? Is, is that all? You just sort of live, you, you have fun times and you laugh and you make good shows and movies and, and things and you have family and some kids, but yet you just choose to take it and take yourself away from all that. And, and, and now what and where? And life has a sense of meaninglessness to it if this is all that there is. If this is all that there is, the 70, 80 years that we've been given, both the highs and the lows, there's a lot of meaninglessness to it. Is that it? And so what I find many times with our Christian faith is we, we, we begin to isolate ourselves in the natural dimension rather than understanding the supernatural dimension. We begin isolating ourselves in the temporal number of years that we've been given rather than the everlasting to everlasting years that will go on without end. 
You've heard me say it before. Sometimes, you know, we think that we're uh, having, uh, that we're humans having a spiritual experience when in reality uh, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And we have to right-size that we've been created by God. We've been gifted these few years. But these few years are merely only a small little dot on the belief of eternity. And you and I have access to that whole amount of eternity. And so as we study, whether it's the Christophanies of Jesus Christ or his pre-existence, his pre-incarnate, everlasting to everlasting state, we start to see this bigger picture. And so one of the joys I've had this week is God calling me out of my small little problems and my, you know, making it to paycheck to paycheck or what's next or, or, or how are we going to, you know, succeed in being faithful to that member of the family and that member of the family. God calls me out of the, the minutia of my life and allows me to step back and to see the grandeur of his kingdom and who he is. And so this study, I pray, is an encouragement to you not to be myopic but to step back and see the grandeur and don't allow the pressures of your life to press you into not just depression, but maybe even sometimes a suicidal kind of state. Saying, is this all there is? Well, I might as well just forget it. They're like, I'm not suicidal, Carrie. No, we're not suicidal normally, but I tell you what, we get down and sort of despondent and we're very, like I said, myopic and we're not thinking big picture. Think big picture. If you are not anchored in the big picture of all times, then you will have deeper challenges with the troubles that do arise in your everyday life. And so here's Christ. And we as Christians don't worship him just because he came, he walked, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming again. No. That's Jesus Christ, the incarnate Jesus Christ. But the true Christ, Son of God, is transcendent above that. He goes back before all times. He created all things, it says. And all things were made by Him. And yes, He's not only coming again, but He will live forever. And so for me and my Christian faith, I want the full meal deal. How about you? I want to step back and I want to soak in His Word. I want to soak in the knowledge of Him. And I want to say, God, help me to live in reality. Not to live in just this mere natural triviality that sometimes seems to occupy my days. Now these are beautiful days God's given us. And He has a purpose and plan for us. We name this church, what? The Awakening. Why? Because we want you to become awakened to be fully alive in Christ into His mission. But the reality is today, there are people not only out there, but some of you maybe even in here. You're not fully alive in Christ to His mission. The reality is you're sort of fully dead to Christ and anything about a mission. And so we step back and we say, Lord, help us to see You from the beginning of time Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, of old, from everlasting to everlasting. How many of you grew up looking at this book as a child? Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo, right? All right. Where's Waldo was written, the first one was written in 1989 by an illustrator who took two years to do just 12 pages of double-page uh, illustrations, Martin Hanford. And he took this little character, Waldo, or Wally as it's known in the Britain area, and he 
placed him at common ordinary places, you know, whether a beach or a mountain scene or something like that, and you were supposed to, as a little kid, find out where Waldo is. Well, I have sort of felt that way this week. I even hesitated using this illustration, but I'm going to ask you not where's Waldo, Waldo, but where's Christ in the Old Testament? We could spend a lot of time here. I'm going to run through five examples that are possible Christophanies of the presence of Christ, the one from everlasting to everlasting in the Old Testament, active in work in many of the same stories that we've talked about for the last six weeks. And as we look at these possible sightings of Christ in the Old Testament, I want you to be encouraged that those men and the women that we look at in the Scripture, they were not left alone. There was intervention going on, a mediatory work with God himself showing up and being a part of their lives. Now, when you look at some of these sightings in the Old Testament, you have to step back and say, well, how do we know if this particular sighting is the Son of God is, is, is the second person of the Trinity, or whether it's a, an angel or God, you know, God the Father, whatever it may be. Here's some key indicators that will help us sort of discern the Christophanies. Jesus himself, it was said in John 1, that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the Father, he has explained him. So we know this up front, that no man has seen the full essence of God himself. In fact, we talked about Moses wanting to see God, and God said, I'm sorry, you can't take it. You can only see my hind parts. And so he hid it, Moses in a crevice and walked by. All right? No man has seen God at any time, so the appearances of God in the Scriptures, you start to lean towards, well, if it's not God the Father, then who are these presents that are referenced there? Now, if a New Testament references an event as an appearance of uh, Jesus or Christ, then that's a pretty good indicator. But there's a couple other things. No person is to receive worship in Scripture. In fact, when there are angels and human beings start to worship them, they say, hey, man, not me, not me. Stop right there. So no person is to receive worship. And so that's going to be a key indicator for us. And then there's another one, is if a person is addressed as Lord, and then there's also this reality that <clears throat> there was the belief that if you did see God face to face, you would die. All right? So with those in mind, I'm going to jump to the first, and you're going to have to hang with me. There's going to be a lot of scripture on these screens, and it's probably just best for me to read through it, capture the the Waldo sighting, the Christophany sighting and leave it in your jurisdiction and then move on to the next. So here we go, five of them. Genesis 18, concerning the birth of Isaac that was promised. It says this, Now the Lord appeared to him. i got to stop right there, I guess. The, wherever you see the name Lord or whatever in all caps, all right, the reason it's put in all caps is it's being translated from the Hebrew Scripture from four other letters. Y-H-W-H. All right? Hebrew, there's no vowels. Y-H-W-H. And so you can say that's Yahweh is the name of God, or it's Jehovah, name of God. There's not real certainty as to how you would actually pronounce that particular name for God, but it's the name of God. So when you read the Old Testament and you see those caps, that's meaning that's the actual name of God that's being referenced there. 
All right? There's multiple names for God, but the particulars here are the one for Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mary, <clears throat> Mamre, while he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Uh, we're going to experience some of that later today. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to sit underneath your tent in the heat of the day. Um, When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass pass your servant by. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. Advanced in age, Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Now, do you remember this when we went through Moses? We actually use this very passage, all right? I mean, for for Abraham. We actually use this passage. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child while I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the anointed time, I'll return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This prediction of Isaac's birth could have it, possibly, maybe. Just think about it. Was this a Christophany where Christ appeared to Abraham to announce this birth? Number two. Number two is Joshua. Now, we didn't study on Joshua during this summer, but this ties back in actually to Moses. In Joshua, chapter 5, verse 13, New American Standard, references the captain of the Lord of hosts. Now, it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said to him, I think it's sort of funny I think about it. You know, It's like, there's a man, a sword, we're here, what's going on? And he basically walks up to him and says, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you a friend or a foe? If you got a sword, you're wanting to know. He said, No. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord of hosts said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The Lord of hosts, this person, did not say, get up, get up, don't do that. He accepted the acknowledgement of who he was. And then he went further and said, Joshua, you're standing on holy ground. Now, what does he have to hold back to? Did you ever hear this before this time in Joshua? Sure you did. When Moses was called out of the burning bush, and the angel of the Lord appeared there, it was, take your hands off. This was holy ground. You are in the presence of God Himself. Whoo! Whoo! Presence of God Himself. Okay. But this wasn't some just, you know, um, um, visual, some type of hyper-technology kind of vague experiences or some ghostly experience. This was an actual person. The Lord of the host had a sword, Friend or foe, who are you? You're on holy ground. Could it be? Possibly. Just think about it. I don't know. Maybe. Just, I don't know. Could that be an appearance of Christ 
in the Old Testament. Number three, number three has to do with our friend Gideon. Remember, Gideon, you should recall where we went to with this. It's going to give reference in Judges 6, verse 11, then the angel of the Lord. Now take that phrase, the angel of the Lord. Usually this is where the Christophanies are coming from. Referenced as the angel of the Lord in the all caps is reflecting most likely upon the deity of that being. Not just that they're angelic. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the oak that was from Ophrah which belonged to Joash, the Eberzerite, as the son of Gideon, was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Remember him hiding? Not me, don't pick me. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, is with you, O valiant warrior, O mighty warrior. Oh, really? I, I... Oh, my goodness. When Gideon saw that it was the angel of the Lord, he also said, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it. The Lord is peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abersrites. However you say those names sometimes. Now, There's a couple key things here. One is that he acknowledged that he was face to face with a presence that was most likely going to put him to death. Because remember, you didn't believe you could see God face to face without dying. And the word came back, do not fear, you shall not die. And then he does what? He offers sacrifice. He builds an altar. Could it be? Just think about it. I don't know. Maybe, possibly, maybe not. I don't know. But could it have been with Gideon? Oh, there's Christ appearing to call him the valiant warrior to send him into battle. So number four, then, is Judges. Remember our cycle of Judges? Judges 13. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. Oh, yeah, remember the Philistines, right? There was a certain man whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord, oh, angel of the Lord, appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Well, the angel of the Lord appeared to uh, Samson's mom here. She gets all excited about it, tells tells, uh, her husband. Her husband doesn't believe her. And so she begins praying again, show up, show up, so I don't, don't look so silly. Angel of the Lord actually shows up again. Angel of the Lord shows up and uh, Manoah says, well, hey, why don't you hang around for some dinner? Come to our table. What's your name, by the way? He said to him, Angel of the Lord said, My name can be translated different. My name is secret. In other words, you can't know my name. But the same word that's translated secret in this particular passage that's in Judges 13 can also be translated wonderful. My name is wonderful. We pick it up then in verse 20. For it came about, When the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. 
What were they doing? They wanted them, the angel of the Lord to eat with them. angel of the Lord says, no, I can't do that. And they said, well, what about an offering, a sacrifice? And he says, yep, that's what I would command. So they offered a sacrifice, and as they're offering this acceptable sacrifice, the angel of the Lord consumes it and is lifted up and ascends in the flame from the altar. And they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. goes back to what I said. If they saw, thought they saw God, then they think that they were going to die. They didn't die. They gave birth to Samson. Samson ended up becoming uh, one of the powerful rulers, judges of the time, to deliver Israel. So God was faithful to his promise. But could it be possibly, I don't know, just think about it. Maybe. Let's step back. Give it a glance. Could this have been a sighting of Christ in the Old Testament? And finally, number five is Daniel. And this one you should readily remember. that We talked about Daniel. It was his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire still tied up in Daniel 3. It says, verse 23, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste, and he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Oh, certainly, O king, he said. Look, I see four men loosed and walking around in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearances of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Could it be possibly just maybe? I don't know. I'm thinking pretty much so. There were four guys in that fiery furnace. Not a hair on their body was singed. The fourth one was the presence of Christ himself with them. Carrie, why would you invite Christ to the dinner table when we're just talking about Old Testament characters? Because Christ was there. Not as we came to know him through the New Testament scriptures when he was incarnated in human flesh, but Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, present and active from everlasting to everlasting, has always been active in this world, even from the beginning of time. That is why Daniel and his vision, just a little bit later on in Daniel 7, 13, 14, becoming one of my more favorite passages as I spend time uh, marching through these years as a Christian believer. The prophet Daniel said this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Do you think Daniel got caught up in the minutia and the triviality and frivolity of life? I'm sure he had day-to-day tasks, but because he would see visions like this and he would come to know that Jesus could stand in the midst of a fiery furnace with his friends, he lived a life that was more transcendent than what our narcissistic, materialistic world tries to press us into today. You've got to step back. You've got to take hinds feet on high places, look at the big picture, understand what's going on, engage your life in present everyday responsibilities, but make sure that you're also connected to the ancient of days, from everlasting to everlasting, the one whose dominion and kingdom will not end. 
If you want meaning in life, it's not going to be found by building up a larger portfolio, getting a bigger house, being able to drive a nicer car, just getting your kids through college, finding some peace and rest and some tranquility and some leisure time. You will not balloon and flame up in your life until you tap into an understanding of all God's doing through all time, through his son, Jesus Christ. So with those five in mind, I just challenge you and encourage you to think on this, is that if Jesus, Christ of the Old Testament, came to our dinner table, what he might say, I think he would just look at us and say, well, you need to know who I am. I am the eternally pre-existent, pre-incarnate God of this universe who in essence is present and active in your everyday life in the brokenness of the world. You see, he would be a different kind of guest, wouldn't he? Every other guest around our dinner table would be a human being kind of person. And so, yeah, you're wanting to get to know stories. And yeah, Jesus has stories from all time. But I tell you what, there would be this sense of, oh my goodness, look who is at our table. And I don't even know if I would get up enough muster to ask him anything. But I think as he would reveal himself, he would say, I am the eternally pre-existent, pre-incarnate God of the universe who in essence is active in your everyday life and in your broken world. Isaiah 9, 6, another prophet says this. It says, for to us, this is predicting Christ, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, oh, there's that secret name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Everlasting. That's that infinite description. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. The child was born, but the son was given because the son was always preexistent eternally in the heavenly realms. Important distinction there. So then when the son was given, when the child was born, and when Jesus did step into his ministry, and the dear disciple John wrote his gospel, it starts this way in John 1.14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth was acknowledged that's who it was. <laughs> and then Jesus got himself into trouble, didn't he? He tried to clue everybody in in the natural world. But there was a spiritual, eternal world. And he says in John eight fifty eight, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am... What? Step back, get the stones. This guy is blasphemous. But he's just acknowledging his essence of who he is. Yep. I was there before Abraham. Always existent. And John 1, 4, of course, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then John 17, in the high priestly prayer, as he finishes out his earthly ministry, You catch these words. He's just dialing into who he is. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Can I just share with you, when we come to worship, even if your mind has been all over the map, even if the kids were a challenge to get over to their classes in the morning, even if it doesn't look like your friends here to sit with, even if it's a new song you don't know how to sing, even if maybe something technically is not going right, will you please center yourself in that moment before this Christ? Do not go through the motions when you come to worship on a Sunday morning. This is the Christ that we worship. And as we engage the true essence of Him who is here in our presence, He will not only receive that worship, but He will lift your hearts and recalibrate the focus that you need to have. So if this was Jesus through all time and those Christophanies are true and then Jesus claimed who he was. Can I go back to one really early on in the Old Testament and let's think maybe possibly if possible. I don't know. Just think about it. Could it be? Genesis 3 verse 8. Adam and Eve. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Could it be possibly? I don't know. Just think about it. If God could not be seen face to face, could have it been the one who created all things and all things came into being by him and apart from him, nothing came into being that is coming into being. Could have been the creator God himself, Jesus Christ who was there walking in the garden, calling out to Adam and Eve after they had sinned. Hey, where are you? Did God lose his little creations? No. He was calling them to himself. For you see, we may think we're in control when we say, who do we want to invite to the table today? But it's really the other way around. It's, it's Jesus who from the beginning of time in the garden is calling out broken human beings saying, where are you? Because he wants to invite you to his table. So you go from Genesis to Revelation. Revelations 3.20, the last book of the Bible. A word spoken to the churches. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. So Jesus stands and he knocks. Are you inviting him in to eat at your table? Well, the reality is he's knocking to give you invitation to own where you're at so that you can come into his kingdom and his realm and dine with him at his table. How many times when you have somebody as a guest, you you sort of come to the close, oh, thanks so much for inviting me. The food was great. The fellowship was great. It's nice getting to know you a little bit. And then you say, what? As you're leaving. I'll have to invite you over sometime. 
as we conclude this series, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, I really just want to flip it and say, friends, the real dinner that's going on is something the eternal realms that we're being invited to for the culmination of all times. And there is a seat for you. And God, Christ Himself, desires for you to be at that table. That's why later in Revelation, when there's this vision of hearing the sound of a great multitude, rushing waters, thunderclaps, all that's going on, it says this in Revelation 19, verse 6, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen and bright and clean were given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I've seen different paintings of what maybe that wedding supper could be like or the table and whether it's this one or another one or the wedding table that was going through the trees we saw at the beginning of service. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know the table is big enough and massive enough for every one of us to be around that table. But he stands and he knocks wanting the passageway between you and him to be opened up so that you can come in and be seated at his table and live in his realm forever. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Where are you, broken down, sinful human being? Are you lost in the trivialness of your life? Is life meaningless to you? Oh, it may appear that you're on a great trajectory right now, but in the end, there's sadness that comes that this is all that there is. Jesus says, I want you to dine with me at my table. But friends, you cannot dine at this table unless you are invited and unless you are prepared to eat. All of us are invited, as evidenced by this passage in Revelation 19. But to eat at the table, don't come with dirty hands. In fact, it's not the hands at all that are your problem or my problem. It's the heart. We have to have a clean heart, and we can only have a clean heart because of the finished work of Jesus Christ when he shed his blood for our sins. He died on the cross. He was raised from the grave. And if we allow Him to come into our life and we with Him, then His blood cleanses us from all sins. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a song of preparation for you to come to the Lord's table. And this song is not only a song for you to prepare your hearts to come to the Lord's table, but it's a song that you can just quietly pray a prayer of inviting Christ, the eternally pre-existent one, into your own life. You see, Jesus is giving this invitation and He would simply say this to you as you would come to the table. You are invited to dine with Me at My table forever for My everlasting dominion and kingdom will never pass away. This song is nothing but the blood 
What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the finished work of Jesus Christ can cleanse me so I can come and join at his table. He's inviting you to this table. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Jesus Christ, you can make that choice right now in the quietness of your heart and pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I invite you to come into my life. Here I am, broken and sinful. Wash me so I may be clean. Your blood can take my heart and make it whole and pure. I spent time reading out the last couple chapters of Revelation from here. Friends, no one is able to be in the eternal realm of the new heaven and the new earth unless they are perfect. And there's no way to be perfect unless the perfect one dwells within you and cleanses your life. So at this time, as you prepare for the table, if there are sins that you need him to wash clean, then you pray through those. If you've never come to Jesus before, just ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. The invitations there to be a part of his dominion and kingdom that will not pass away. So you're welcome to come as you feel led. You can be seated where you're at, get up at different times, doesn't matter, it's an open table. You break the bread. You dip it in the juice. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Can you picture him on that night? This blood, this bread represents my broken body. And this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. And then he said this verse. It's spoken this way. For whoever, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's an open table. We're going to sing. There's going to be instrumental time. This is your time, as you feel led, to come to the table. You can go and pray. You can take it back to your seat, whatever it may be. These are your moments in the presence of the one who is called wonderful. And is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen.